Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. If it doesn't make me money, then I don't do it. I have a picture-perfect life, and I do. If they're not talking about you, then you're not relevant. Ooh, girl. These shoes have this. Girl, bring an umbrella in my rain out here. These shoes have expired already. I mean, they look cute now. They go with this dress, but you know. <laughs> look at you, ma'am. Thank you. Looking cute as always. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I know. You look cute as well. Well, thank you, honey. I know Miss Joanna gonna be mad because I'm holding no shoes on, but you know it is what it is. <laughs> Good gracious. Yeah, Joanna does always have something. Always has something interesting to say. Interesting to say is the word. <laughs> impromptu meetings is your husband Caiaphas going to call? I mean, he's been dragging our husbands, the members of the Sanhedrin, out of our homes at all hours of the night. They have other things to do, Tamar. Okay. Business, for one thing. My husband makes a lot of money around the Passover with all the travelers needing money changed to the temple coin. My husband is the chief high priest here. Do you or your husbands question his authority? No. Ugh, I cannot stand Tamar. She really gets on my nerves. Boo-boo. <sighs> Darling, he does seem to be botching this whole Jesus of Nazareth affair. Man, another word, Joanna. It's the disciples of Jesus that are going around telling this story that he rose from the dead. Something had to be done. My husband says that your husband certainly used enough of the temple treasury on this whole affair, paying off Judas Iscariot to betray him, bribing the Romans. And how about dragging our husbands out of their beds to have that trial in the middle of the night? Yeah, and then they had to stand around all morning while this Jesus was on trial, trying to keep the crowd whipped up, getting them to scream for his crucifixion. That was no easy task since many of the people in the crowd had witnessed his miracles. My husband lost a whole day of business. Pretty inconvenient. Hold up. These girls done forgot who my husband is. And Joanna got the nerve to talk. We all know that her husband is a whole convicted felon. Boop. I know they're talking about me and my husband, but you know what? I don't care. He married for love. After all, he signed the prenup. And if they're not talking about you, then you're not relevant. Besides, the only person who can judge me is God. And the last I checked, he seemed to be pretty impressed. You know what? You may not be able to get all that you want, but I can. Look, it was necessary. 
your husbands are members of the Sanhedrin, right? So it's their duty to put their good of the Jewish nation above their businesses, no matter how inconvenient. Ah, fix your face. They're just jealous. My life is beautiful. I live well. I don't have to work. My husband buys me gifts all the time. But I want more, more for myself, more for my family. And these little meetings are a waste of time and my money. What are you talking about? This isn't some national crisis. It's one man, one. Exactly, that's why Caiaphas said it's better for one man to die than the whole Jewish nation to perish. That Jesus of Nazareth was a menace to us all. He had to be dealt with, he had to die. What he should have done was kept his place over there in Galilee as a carpenter and not involved himself with matters that pertain to his betters. What is this meeting about tonight? Oh, Miss Tardy to the party. This is about stopping the resurrection rumors. <laughs> Excuse you. Didn't he go to Governor Pilate and ask him to seal the tomb and to put armed guards at the entrance to the tomb to keep the disciples from stealing the body. I mean, who does that? He did, he did, and my husband says that he played right into the hands of the Christians by doing that. It actually strengthened their case for the resurrection. Posting guards destroyed the, the story that the disciples stole him away for crying out loud, the tomb was guarded day and night by an entire detachment of Rome's finest. Oh, and let's not forget, didn't they try to spread the rumor that Jesus wasn't really dead when they placed him in the tomb? And that when he woke up from his coma, he escaped from the tomb? Yep, yep. And no one's going to believe a man who had been beaten on the head repeatedly and flogged to near death, then suffocated on a cross for six hours, would have the strength to roll away a 2,000-pound rock. Besides, how would he get past the guards? And that's what my husband said. The guard fell asleep. <laughs> fell asleep, girl, bye. Yes, Joanna. People are not going to believe that. There isn't a person in Jerusalem who is going to believe that these highly trained Roman guards, now get this, all fell asleep all at once. Everybody knows that the penalty for falling asleep on guard duty is death. Now, who gonna check me? You're right. The fact that they're still alive tells everyone that they didn't fall asleep on duty. If there wasn't a payoff somewhere, they would have been executed. Maybe that was a bad idea. Well, that's why Caiaphas saw to it that they were transferred out of town. But the rumors of the resurrection are more numerous than ever. Y'all, what they should have done was reseal the tomb and not let anyone go near it. That way, if Jesus came up missing, they could find another body and put it in the tomb and wait for it to decompose and then parade the disciples of Jesus around the open tomb so that they can see that their precious little Messiah was still dead. Tamar, that's what? a lot. <laughs> By now, everyone knows that the tomb was empty. Did you know that more than 500 people swear they saw Jesus alive? Wait, what? There are 500 people who claim to have seen this Jesus alive? I don't know y'all, but that seems like a, a lot of, ooh, that seems like a lot Joanna, of people to me. Joanna, I'm just they saying. are arresting the witnesses. I mean, those unschooled disciples of his? Caiaphas said that flogging will shut him up. 
my husband is upset that two of our own have defected, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And you know, I know both of them and their wives. They're good men. They're reliable men. Maybe there is something to all of this. <laughs> Nicodemus, reliable? Girl, bye. I mean, he was caught sneaking around with Jesus and then had the nerve to defend Jesus' actions to the Sanhedrin. And Joseph, volunteering his tomb, traitors. Tamar, has it ever occurred to you that maybe they know something that we don't? Maybe he really did come back from the dead. I mean, Lazarus did. We all know that. It's just ludicrous. I mean, only way that Jesus could have risen from the dead is if he was God himself. And that whole story about Lazarus, that was a fraud. I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, I know Martha. We go way back. And if she says that her brother was dead, then he was dead. Jesus couldn't possibly be God. If he was God, he would have recognized the authority of the rabbis and the Jews. If he was God, he would have asked Caiaphas to help him and his disciples know the, the finer points of the law. And if he was God, he would have asked permission before he came riding into Jerusalem on the Sunday before the Passover. Thank you. Yeah, no, Tamar, you have a point there. Thank she you. does, Joanna. She has a point. That was such a disaster. I mean, my husband says the only reason the crowd was so excited was because the true Messiah was predicted to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Look, y'all, I was there. Oh, you is I was everywhere. there. The streets were lined with adults and children shouting Hosanna and laying down palm branches. <laughs> Jesus looked kingly, royal even. Royal? On a donkey? <laughs> looked Girl. even poor even. No, he did not look very royal. Not when he was in the temple turning over tables. We lost more money than my husband and I care to count thanks to his little temple tantrum. Dina gets on my nerves. She's siding with me sometimes, then she's siding with Tamar. Girl, whose side are you on? We cannot have this going on here. Herod, all the Romans will not allow this kind of nonsense here in Jerusalem. If our husbands can't get this whole Jesus thing under control, we're gonna lose our temple. Mm -hmm. And if we lose our temple, then my husband won't be nothing more than another Jew. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> nah, that can't happen. I mean, hair and nails, I like this lifestyle. We gonna have to come up with another room or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel you there, Tamar. I'm not, I'm not trying to lose out on my luxuries in life either, but is that what this is all about? Power, position, prestige? No. It better not be. Because if this Jesus has really risen from the dead, y'all think about it. Our husbands have killed the Son of God. <sighs> Jesus, if you're real, then fix it. And fix it now. Somebody say, fix it, Jesus. Come on, say it again. Say, fix it, Jesus. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. You might say, well, that's a, 
different type of text for an Easter Sunday. Well, this has been a different type of couple years, hasn't it? Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. And as we turn there, let's pray. Father, I thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. We know that he died for our sins, but he was raised for our justification so we could be declared not guilty. So, Father, as we gather here in your presence, in your name, looking at your word, we ask for our eyes to be open, our ears to be open, our hearts to be open and perceptive of what you would have to say to us today. Father, I need your help. I only want to say what I hear you say. I only want to do what I see you do so that Jesus may be glorified, lifted high, made famous in our lives. As always, Holy Spirit, have your way. Move up and down every single aisle. Move through every single screen. Touch every single heart. Let no one leave this experience the same today. I ask for lives to be transformed forever by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Daniel chapter 3. Say, fix it, Jesus. See, some of you may be looking at your lives today and seeing setback after setback after setback. And if you are honest with yourself in your everyday life, you're pretty much yelling, fix it, Jesus. Then when you look at what happened in your life so far this year and last year, maybe things before, maybe things beyond your control. Maybe it was your mistakes. Maybe it was others. Maybe it was just life in general. And you just look at setback after setback after setback. Your heart's cry really is, fix it, Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today, as I shared before, this whole week was coming to my heart was that we're in a comeback season. It's time for you to bounce back from your setback. Now, let me define some terms. Setback. And if you want to follow along with me, my notes are on the YouVersion Bible app as well as the Faith Plus app, and you can follow along with me in my notes. The word setback means a reversal or check in progress. A delay or hindrance in progress. A setback is a reversal or check in progress. It is a delay or hindrance in progress. A comeback is a return to a former position or condition as of success or prosperity. A comeback is a return to a former position or condition as of success or prosperity. To bounce back means to return quickly to a normal condition after a difficult situation or event. To bounce back means to return quickly to a normal condition after a difficult situation or event. So I'm here to tell you again, this is your comeback season. And it's time for you to bounce back from your setback. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now you must say, okay, he made a statue of himself of gold. It's really big. Okay, you know, politicians, you know, they like to see themselves on stuff, so cool. But this king 
took a little further. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, and judges, and treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the province were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbook, the psaltery, the dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So you have to be careful what music you listen to because some music is designed to make you bow. And whoso falls not down and worships the, shall the same hour be cast into the mist of of a burning, fiery furnace. And so what he's saying, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. If you don't bow, you're going to burn. So therefore, at the time when all the music played, the people fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, has made a decree that every man at the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falls not down and worships, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. So this king has made this policy decree that everybody bows down when the beat drops. And so some of his people said, hey, look, these three guys. Now, let me tell you about these three guys. They're friends of a man named Daniel. These four guys and others were brought from Judah when it was besieged by the Babylonian Empire. Now, when we think of these guys, when we read people in the Bible, you know, we usually think of them, you know, they're older, they got long gray beards, they've been serving God for a hundred years, and now we're going to read about their lives. But when he studied out, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were about 20. They were brought from their homes when they were 15. So when they were sophomores in high school, Babylon invaded their home, took them captive from the life they've known, from their parents, from their families, from their schools, and exported them to Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And now they're there, away from everything, making the decision to live for God in a foreign culture. Now, you have to understand how strong these three guys were in their faith that even as teenagers, they said, you know, we're standing for God no matter what. Because when he said, out, Judah and Israel in that time had backslid, and most of that culture and that nation wasn't living for God, but Daniel and his three friends were. And so they get to a foreign culture with a foreign language, with foreign gods, all these things are going on. They say, no, we're still going to serve God no matter what. No matter what goes on in the culture, no matter what the media says, no matter what the government says, no matter what social media says, we stand for God. And so they made that decision, and they are people of excellence. And so they're rising to the top of their field. They're in charge. They're 20-year-olds in high positions in the government. And so the king gets this idea, let's build this gold statue, let's play the music, and when the music plays, when the beat drops, everybody bows down and worships the image I set up. And so when he hears that these three guys 
who he put in charge won't bow. He is full of fury. He goes off. He's not a person known for controlling his temper anyways. He calls for these three men. And he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready at what time you shall hear the music and that you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, fine, good. Well, we'll put this whole matter behind us. I'm feeling generous today. I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the music, if you bow, we'll forget this whole matter ever happened. But if you don't, if you don't worship, if you don't bow, you shall be in the same hour cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? So imagine this. This is not like a calm conversation going on. It's not like the over coffee, just having a talk. This is the king of an empire with his bodyguards and officials all around him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. And he's threatening them. If you bow, we'll put it behind me. If you don't, I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill you now. I'm not, not going to chop off your heads. I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And what God can deliver you from me? See, Nebuchadnezzar really thought he was a god. So when you look at the king's mentality of that time, especially when they invaded they think, well, if their God couldn't keep them in that land, then I must be stronger than their God. And so Nebuchadnezzar has beaten the Egyptians. He's beaten those people of Judah. He's beaten all the other nations. Everyone's bowing down to him. So he thinks, I'm the man. I'm the stuff. Who can save you from me? Because if your God could have saved you from me, you wouldn't even be standing here before me. Come on, we've all been in situations where the pressure has been applied either from the mouths of people or from circumstances or things in life where people will go, where is your God? If there was a God, you wouldn't even be in this situation. If there was a God, you wouldn't even be in this mess. But sometimes you have to understand that life happens. Walking with Jesus does not say that you'll never have any speed bumps. You never run into any problems. I guarantee you, if you walk with Jesus, you're going to have some issues. Because there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates your guts, and he hates your Jesus. And so he will try to make things hard for you. He'll try to do what he can and get people to listen to him and make your life hard. Now, in Mark chapter 4, it says he has five tactics, affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, persecution, pressure brought by people, the cares of this world, that's anxiety. Then it talks about the deceitfulness of riches, which is being deceived by money, which means believing lies about money. So if you believe money over everything, you're deceived by riches. If you believe money is evil, you're deceived by riches. It's a whole gamut of lies. And the last one is lust of other things, inordinate strong desires that covers everything else. And so he uses those five things to attack believers on a regular basis. And so if you think, well, I'm saved now. I'm just going to skip through the flowers for Jesus. I got some news for you. That's not how it works. It's like that commercial. That's not how any of this works. That's not how it works. You will have some challenges. You will have some struggles. You will have times where it seems like the enemy is saying, who can save you from me? 
Who can deliver you from this pressure? See, COVID killed your industry. It doesn't look like it's coming back. So who can take care of you now? See, the world has changed. How are you going to go forward? See, your education didn't prepare you for this. Your family background didn't prepare you for this. The nation doesn't really care about you. You're too old. You're too young. You're too black. You're too white. You're too Republican. You're too Democrat. Who can deliver you from this situation? Notice what these 20-year-olds said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so. I'm a Bible teacher, so we sometimes I just pause and break down every few words. If it be so. If what be so. Because sometimes it's like, well, if they're going to go, well, if God delivers us. That's not what they're saying. What is the context at hand? If you throw us into the fiery furnace. If you make that decision to throw us in the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You ask the question, who can do it? Our God can do it. See, we have to get our confidence back. We have to get our faith back. Too many of us let everything that happened last year put our faith on the back pedal, and that you are ashamed to be a faith person. You're ashamed to make bold declarations of faith because so many bad things happen around you and you ran into some challenges. And you think, well, everything should be easy because I was serving God. I was tithing. I was volunteering. I was walking in love. I forgave that person who gave me the bird. I was doing good. Why did this show up in my life? And because something showed up, it made you back up. Because you ran into a setback, you backed up. Because something happened, you backed up. Because you made a mistake, you backed up. Because you did some things you know you weren't supposed to do, you backed up. And now you're concerned about making a declaration of faith in the delivering power of your God. We have to get back to being people who says, you know what? Our God can and our God will. Not just he's able, he's going to do it. This is what they did in the face of the king, that emperor, in the face of all his administration, in the face of seemingly certain death, our God can and our God will. Say, our God can and our God will. Verse 18, but if not, if not what? If you don't throw us in the fiery furnace. Not if God doesn't deliver us. That wasn't a question on their mind. They said, God can and God will. So they said, if you don't throw us in the fiery furnace, if you change your mind, let it be known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. His form of his vicious changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times hotter. That doesn't make sense. Level one's going to kill you. Seven times hotter, it's still going to kill you. See, I'd like to say it this way. Sin will make you stupid. This man says, he is seven times hotter. That doesn't make sense. And not only will sin make you stupid, but letting your emotions have you will make you stupid. I'm just going to pause for that. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, the will, and the control center of your emotions. And you live in a physical body. You have emotions. You're not supposed to let your emotions have you. 
You possess your emotions. You don't let your emotions possess you. Because anytime you let your emotions have you and you let your emotions possess you, you're going to do something stupid. And afterwards, like, man, I knew better. Like, man, I've known better for decades. So that's why we have to make sure we stay in control of our emotions, which also lets us know we need to pay attention to what we watch and what we listen to. Because some things we keep feeding on are agitating our souls. And you are okay until you spend all that time on that person's social media page. That has nothing good to say. You were good until you watched that news for 24-7. And they didn't know what they were talking about. They just kept repeating the same thing over and over and over. And you learned nothing new in eight hours. But you've been digesting it and feeding on it and feeding on it and feeding on it. So as soon as something happens in your life, you pop off. Because now your strength has been taken. Your strength has been absorbed. Now you're in your feelings. Instead of catching faith, you're catching feelings, and now you're having issues. Or because you weren't handling being away from people so long, as soon as someone shows you the slightest attention, let me talk to the single ladies for a second. Yes, I know this year's been bad for a lot of people. But as, just because someone showed you attention does not mean they're from Jesus. Look, if they only showed up after you got your refund check and your stimulus check, they aren't from God. Back to the message. Daniel chapter 3. Praise his name. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The heat was so intense, the guards that threw them in died. That's how intense the heat was. So everybody's watching. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace. And you have to understand there's a lot of people who watch you when you're thrown into the fiery furnace. There are people who are watching your life. You don't even realize they're watching their life. You don't even know their name, but they know you and they're watching. See, one of the things in the, it says in the New Testament, we are epistles or we are letters read by all men. Sometimes your life is the only Bible people will ever crack open. And they're going to watch how you respond to situations and circumstances and challenges and pressures and setbacks. They're thrown into the fiery furnace. Fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and called all his counselors. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Okay. Did not we throw three men bound into the midst of the fiery furnace? They answered, yeah, that's what happened. We all saw it. He answered and says, look, look, come, come, pay attention. Look, I see four men loose walking around. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Whoa, whoa, pause, pause, pause. First, they were bound. Let's pay attention to the text. They were bound. They were in a situation, a circumstance, a setback that bound them, that should have thrown them back into the fiery furnace. But they get into the fire where it should have been over, but now they're loose from the things that used to hold them back. Now that they're loose from the things that used to hold them back, they're now walking around untouched, unharmed by the fire. 
And as they're walking around, somebody jumped through time and space. Somebody came from the right hand of the throne of God. Somebody jumped into the midst of the fire with them, and he is the living son of God whom God raised from the dead. So that just lets me know, if, 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 if Jesus could go through time and space and get in the middle of the fiery furnace with these three men all those thousands of years ago, don't you know he can get in the middle of your situation? So the king says, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on, come on, get out, come on out. And as they leave the fire, everybody looks, it's like they don't even smell like smoke. Their hair is not singed, their clothes are not ashy. What's, they don't even look like what they've been through. See, it's time for you to get some testimonies where people look at you and say, your life has been perfect. You've been, you got the silver spoon in your mouth. Every, nothing, you've never ran into anything in your life. And you go, man, I have this setback and this setback and this setback and this setback with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead orchestrated my bounce back. You may have a whole lot of mountain ranges in your past, but faith can get them thrown into the sea. You're not supposed to look like what you've been through. Just because you've been through it doesn't mean it's over. So well, I got on the other side, but there's still some time for some restoration. There's still some time for some restitution. There's still some time for some payback that comes from the hand of God. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree that he's like, nobody say anything bad about this God who is the true and living God. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted. You should expect promotion after your drama. You made a stand of, for God. You made declaration of faith for God. You stood strong. You went through it. Don't just expect to go through it. Expect promotion on the other side. He said, well, that's not what the news said. How many of you know by now the news don't always know what they're talking about? How many know that by now? It changes every day. That's why it's the news. We have to rely on something stronger than that. We have to put our faith in what God has said. And in the midst of uncertain times, we stand on what's certain. In the midst of changing times, we stand on what is unchangeable. In the midst of unstable times, we're stable in our belief in who God is. See, we live in a world where everybody is unstable. Do you know what draws people to Jesus? Stability. It's like, what, you're not just going off like everybody else? How are you so peaceful? Peace will bring people to Jesus. So don't let the world throw you into fear, hopelessness, despair, panic, and all the other things it does. Because although you're in the world, you're not of the world. Although you live on this planet, you're an ambassador from another one. Although you live in this nation, you're backed by another kingdom. So if Jesus could intervene in the situation of these three men, I want you to know most assuredly today he can fix whatever's going on in your life. He can get into your situation 
and orchestrate your comeback and empower you to bounce back. Go to Luke chapter 4. Say, fix it, Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. For those who watch online, go ahead and put it in the chat. Say, fix it, Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16. And when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, it wasn't just his custom to go to the synagogue. It was his custom to go to the synagogue, stand up, and read this passage. In the first year, at least, ministry of Jesus, this is what he went to all the time. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This word heal means to cure, to make whole. This word broken means broken in shivers or crushed. So he sent me to make whole and cure the heart that's been broken into shivers, the hearts that's been crushed. So let's say you have this really expensive vase, a really expensive dish, and somehow it dropped and shattered on the ground, not to like four pieces, but thousands of pieces all in shivers. You're not going to try to save it. You're going to, as much as you may have liked that, you're going to sweep it up and throw it away because to you it is worthless and there's no way for it to come back together again. And some of you look at your heart that way today that has been crushed and broken into so many shivers. There's no way that it can come back together again. And he's like, I'm just going to throw the whole thing away. And Jesus looks at your heart and says, no, no, no. No, no, no. Although it's impossible to you, you give it to me. I can put it back together again and make it better than it ever was before. He says, this is what I'm anointed to do. To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty them that are bruised. This word bruised means broken by calamity. It also means oppressed. I'm here to set free those who have been broken by calamity and all those who are oppressed. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now to us we're like okay cool it's a good year. No it's more than that when you understand the context of the Old Testament it was the year of Jubilee that in the 50th year every debt was cancelled this is supernatural debt cancellation. See people get excited about school loans might be cancelled every 50 years everything was cancelled and even if you made some very poor financial decisions or you fell on really hard times and you had to sell your family's inheritance, at the 50th year, it came back to you. And Jesus said, I'm here to preach Jubilee. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, beginning his message, never finished it, began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. What is saying? That's me. I'm anointed to do this. Isaiah was talking about me. So when we look at what he's anointed to do with the heart and for the captives and to the blind 
and those who are bruised and oppressed and broken by calamity and those who need the gospel preached unto them because they're poor or those who need the acceptable year of the Lord. When we look at all these things, we can just say Jesus is anointed to fix it. All these areas are Jesus fixing something. Jesus is anointed to fix it. Say it with me. Say, Jesus is anointed to fix it. Okay, we're going to say it again with some boldness. And if you put it in the chat online, say, Jesus is anointed to fix it. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he could fix it in Bible days, then he can fix it today. So put your faith in him and get back up again. Because someone says, well, I'll get back up again when the world fully reopens and everything's over. I get to get out of my house more and go to places that I used to like to go. Just because you're back out doesn't mean you're back up on the inside. Just because you're back out doesn't mean you're back up on the inside. That you'll just live and everybody thinks you're fine, everybody thinks you're cool, but between you, me, and Jesus, we know on the inside, everything is not right. Something's wrong. And you're just trying to go along to get along. When you could actually have so much more. You could actually have Jesus fix it. If he could fix it in Bible days, then he can fix it today. So put your faith in him. Get back up again and get ready to bounce back from your setback. Go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Say, fix it, Jesus. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Now look at verse 21. We looked at this a little bit on faith in the morning in the previous weeks. But we know the story. Lazarus has died. They wanted Jesus to show up beforehand, but he didn't. And now when Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And as Jesus gets close, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, run to meet him. And when we look at verse 21, it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. We know if you were here, you could have fixed whatever happened. That almost implies, well, now it's kind of too late. But Jesus stopped there because a lot of us think, well, yeah, if this happened earlier, he could have fixed it. But now it's kind of too late. But notice what she says next. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Notice this faith of this woman in grief. So if you were here before, you could have fixed it. But I even know right now, whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you notice what Jesus says your brother shall rise again Martha said unto him, I know I know it I know it he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day she gets very theological it's like I know on the last day when God judges everything we'll all rise again and Lazarus will be raised up he'll be there I believe that and Jesus said I and the resurrection and the life. 
He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Pause. She was putting her faith in a future day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection in the life. Could it be possible that you've been putting your bounce back and your comeback on a future day? This is, well, this happens in the nation, or this person is elected, or this happens for my life, or this happens in my family, or this happens in my finances, and it takes all these years, and if all these things come together, then someday in the future, I can bounce back from my setback. Someday in the future, I can have a comeback. Is it possible you put something in the future that you can receive today with faith in Jesus? Could it be possible you put your faith in a day instead of a person? That you put your faith in some time in the future. We love to say in some Christian circles, you know, in the sweet by and by. Yes, what's sweet by and by? I, I have no idea. Well, when we all get to heaven, that's great when we all get to heaven, but what about having some heaven on earth? Because even under the law, it says you can have days of heaven under the earth. And if you can have days of heaven on the earth under the law, what should believers who have the Holy Ghost and the Word of God have? That it's even possible to manifest heaven on earth. How do you know that Jesus said, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So the first time you experience heaven is not supposed to be when you get there. It should be here now. So instead of putting your faith for something in the future, because faith in the future is not really faith, that's hope. And hope won't manifest unless you add some faith to it. Faith brings things into the now. So stop saying, well, one day or someday, and start saying, in Jesus, I have it now. Take your faith out of your ability. Take your faith out of what the world can do. Take your faith out of future days and some days and put your faith in Jesus. And she said unto him, yes, Lord, supreme in authority, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which shall come into the world. Skip down to verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, look, by this time, he stinks. He's decomposed. It's been four days. You know, people thought Jesus was coming to grief and that it was over. But he says, remove the stone. Some of you have been keeping the stones over things in your life because you said it's too late. There's no way you can fix it. This situation stinks. This situation has to decomposed. But Jesus is telling you today, roll away that stone. Roll away that expectation that nothing can change. Roll away that thought process that is too late. Roll away that mentality that I, I just can't have it because of whatever. See, the world will tell you every reason why you can't have something, why it can't happen to you and can't happen for you, but you need to roll away that stone. And usually that stone is nothing physical. It's mental and a belief system in your heart. You need to roll away that stone. What have you limited to a future day that Jesus wants to bring into your life today? Through your faith in him. Faith 
brings the fixing. Faith brings the fixing. Put it in the chat and say it with me. Say, faith brings the fixing. So if you want Jesus to fix it, you need to make sure you put your faith in him. Because it's very easy to put your faith in everything else but him. See, a lot of us put our faith in our routine. And as long as everything goes according to plan, we're good. And some of us are very organized. We plan for some things to go off. It's like, but see, it's still part of the plan. And as long as my plan happens within this reasonable window, I'm good. But what happens when the world is thrown into a pandemic and everything you planned didn't happen? Is your faith still intact? Because that will reveal, is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in your plan and your ability and your routine? Where is your faith? See, I looked up a synonym for fix. And you know what I found? Restore. A synonym for fix is restore. And if you've been with us for a while, all last year, we focused on the word Restore. The Lord told us in 2019 is going to be year, 2020 is going to be year transformation and restoration. And so I started a series in August on restoration, and I preached that up until the last week of December. You know, Minister Dathan said, Pastor won't let us forget that this is our year for restoration. And it was right, because I knew if we grabbed onto that word, we'd see some restoration. And we did. Testimonies that came in that only God could have done. Marriages, families, finances, healings of restoration on high qualities that only God could have done. And through one of the gifts of the spirits in, the, in November and December, God said, I'm not done with restoration. I'm going to continue in 2021, but it's going to accelerate. So just because we focused on restoration last year, don't think that God has stopped restoring. That we're believing for Jesus to fix it. We're believing for restoration. You put your faith in him, and he can bring that restoration to your life. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 22, what Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. 50 days after Jesus raised from the dead. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. I like how the New Living Translation says, verse 24. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Death and all the power of hell and every demonic force could not keep their grip on Jesus. I want you to keep it in your head as we go through these next few verses. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. They couldn't keep their grip on Jesus. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
verse 11. One of the scriptures we are been quoting today. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you're born again, if you're saved, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and will make alive, energize, quicken your body. And if you can do that to your body, don't you think you can do that to your situation? Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 12. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened or made alive together with him. So when God raised Jesus, he raised you. Having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. We have to stop acting like God is holding something against us. You have to stop acting like God remembers your sins. We have to stop acting like it. Because the scripture says he doesn't. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is a financial term. It means canceled. He canceled your debt. Although it seems unreligious to say it this way, you don't owe God anything. He said, but he's been so good. He's done so much for me. I owe him everything. Well, then that means salvation wasn't a gift. And the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. What do you do with a gift? You just receive it. You just take it. If you have to do something after that, it's no longer a gift. It may be a reward or a wage. It's not a gift. When you receive the gift of salvation, everything that you may have owed God is canceled. You have to remember what John the Baptist said when he looked at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Notice he didn't say the sins of the church people. Everybody. You see, the thing is, when Jesus came as the Lamb of God and died, was raised from the dead, he paid the price for all sin. So you can't say, well, you go to hell for lying. You actually don't. You go to hell for sleeping around. You actually don't. You go to hell for doing drugs. You actually don't. That's not what sends people to hell. Why? Jesus paid for all that. The only thing that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. Because what are they doing? They're rejecting the gift of everything being paid for. And so, 
Who are we to keep people from coming to God? We tell everybody, come on. Well, I'm not living right yet. Yeah, we all know it. Just come on. So I'm going to clean myself up first. If you could clean yourself up first, you wouldn't need a Savior. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. Let us bring you to him. And as we bring, him, bring you to him, we'll let you know. We ain't perfect either, so don't trip when we do something stupid. But we're all going after Jesus. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. So stop canceling people because they do something stupid. Because, see, the problem with cancel culture is there's no room for redemption. I'll say it again. The problem with cancel culture is there's no room for redemption. And what if people canceled you like you're so busily canceling others on social media? If you sow cancellation, you'll reap cancellation. Some of y'all have haters not because you're doing something that's causing them to hate. It's because you sowed hater raid and cancellation yourself. And if you don't want those things in your life, sow a different seed. Verse 15. And having spoiled principalities or disarmed or thrown off principalities and powers, all the demonic rank and file, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You know, the, the Greek in here leaves the picture of he led them on a victory parade. So back in that time when the conquering general will conquer another kingdom, he would take that king and chain him up and put him in a cage. And all the surviving soldiers put them in chains and take all of what they had and march them back to the capital city. And as they go through the capital city, the downtown of the capital city, all the people of the kingdom watch as the enemy has been defeated and is paraded in defeat. So it says Jesus, after he died, he went to the pit of hell, but the Holy Ghost energized him, and he threw off all principalities. He threw off all powers. And he made a show of them. He led them around downtown eternity, showing that Satan is defeated forevermore. It says that he took the keys of hell and death. He took the power Satan was using to control people. See, you have to understand this. When Adam and Eve sinned, it paints the picture of all of humankind being thrown into the slave market of sin. And when that happened, Satan decreed that all men must die. But when Jesus came and won the victory, he decreed all men must have a choice. He opened the slave market of sin. And all it takes to walk out of that slave market is putting your faith in Jesus. Because nothing you could have done could have bought your freedom. Think about it this way, using the same example, the slave market of freedom, slave market of sin. A slave is a slave. The son of a slave is a slave, right? A slave makes nothing. The son of a slave makes nothing. There's no way they can buy their freedom. But what if this slave did a whole bunch of good things? lived a good life, did everything perfect under the law, could he get out? No, because he doesn't have enough to buy his freedom. See, that's why 
your good works can't save you. That's why your good works can't get you into heaven. That's why all the other different religions can't get you in. Because when you look at the other different religions and study it out, it's about what man can do to get to God. But what we see here in the Bible is what God did to get to us. That whosoever will, come. I've opened the door, so come on. All you have to do is choose is to put your faith in me. And everything Satan tried to do has to fall off. It says this, 1 John, this is the purpose why the Son of God was revealed or manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy means to loosen. He came to loosen all the works of the devil. If it's loose, you can just shake it off. So that means at any time, anywhere, anybody can be born again and shake off the devil because of what Jesus has done. Yes, he's an enemy. Yes, he's a threat. But he's nowhere much of a threat as he was before Jesus took him down. So when you face the devil, you're not facing a champion. You're facing a defeated foe. So you have to stop. See, so many Christians put their faith and they have a big bad devil and an itty bitty little God. Because they want to talk all day long about what the devil's been doing. Girl, I've been running from the devil all day. You have no business running from the devil. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll run from you. Why are you running from him? Yes, he's a foe. Yes, he's a threat. Yes, he's a challenger but he ain't even in your class. See, when you're born again, you were reborn and put in another class. Because it tells you in 1 Peter that we're born again from the seed of the incorruptible word of God. Right? Who is the word of God? Jesus. You were born again from the same material who Jesus is. Satan is not even in your class. See, Jesus gave you such a victory. If Satan gets higher than your foot, he's too high. You're supposed to keep him under your feet. That's what you're here to do. Jesus won this absolute total victory so that you can live in victory every single day. Go to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Yes, you'll have challenges, but you win. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The same glory, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives us a new life to live that is energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So the question I have for you today, are you acting and believing like Jesus is still dead? Are you acting and believing like Jesus is still dead? No, I know you believe he's alive. I know you know that God raised him from the dead. I know you know you're going to heaven. You're filled with the Holy Ghost with the mighty burning fire. I got that. But when it comes to your everyday life, how much do you expect God to show up? Do you believe you serve a risen Messiah or is your God still in that tomb? 
Do you believe he can actually make a difference in your everyday life or just is your eternity secure? Has your faith only bought you fire insurance? Or can it actually affect your everyday life? This power is to energize you to live a different way and get different results. There's a newness of life that is available to us. It's backed by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is more than enough to fix your situation and cause you to bounce back from your setback. If that power can raise Jesus from the dead, then that power can orchestrate your comeback. So stop putting faith for your comeback and your restoration in a future day. Put your faith in Jesus and watch what he can do in your life today. Hell and all of his forces could not hold Jesus down. Remember we read that verse. It couldn't keep its grip on them. So if hell and death and all of his forces couldn't keep its grip on Jesus, it shouldn't be able to keep its grip on you. Because the same power that raised him from the dead lives in you. Could it be possible? Could it be possible? Minister Curry, you know, I'll use you for this example because you'll go with me here. So could it be possible that Satan's not holding on to us, but we're holding on to him? That through our actions, our lifestyle, and our fear, we are holding on to the devil when he can't really hold on to us. Could there be some things happening in our life we've granted Satan permission through our fear and the words of our mouth? And that we've made him to be bigger than he should be because of our faith and our fear and our actions and our unforgiveness and our cancel culture and our refusal to walk in love. You need to let that dude go. Shake him off. Come on, you can Taylor Swift it. Just shake it off. Stop holding on to your past, to your mistakes, to your sins and trespasses and iniquities. They don't even belong to you anymore. Jesus paid the price and washed them away. You're not who you used to be. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is your standing. That is your identity. You know, we love to talk about what do you identify today? How do you identify? You know, it might, it's probably going to slip out of my mouth one day. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then look at me, it's like, you're the who? That's how I identify, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Who am I? Not guilty. When God sees me, he says, not guilty. Not because I'm perfect, but because my faith is in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, God will look at you. doesn't matter your past because he's washed away. He'll say, not guilty. And you're as righteous as Jesus is. It's like, whoa, 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 pastor, you don't know what I did before I came to church. You don't know how me and my spouse talked in the car before we got out this building and put our church face on. What do you mean we're as righteous as Jesus? Righteousness is your standing. When you're born again, you are made the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing you can do can change your standing. Your conduct should be holiness. Holiness is still right, even in 2021. But how I many always take some time to actually walk in holiness? And that's what you're supposed to be doing every single day. But there's nothing you can do to change your standing. Because if your sins could change your standing, you could not go to God and ask for forgiveness. 
If your sins could change your righteousness, you couldn't go before God and have standing at the throne of God. You have standing in the throne of God. You know, not everybody can speak in a courtroom because not everybody has standing. Not everybody can speak at the throne of a monarch. Not everybody has standing. You do. So at any time, you can boldly come to the throne of grace and get grace and mercy and help in your time of need and ask for forgiveness and whatever you may need because you have standing. And because you have standing, you can think different and act different. Think about this. The only person who would dare ask a king for a glass of water in the middle of the night is the king's child. No one would ever dare to wake up the king in the middle of the night and ask him for water. Except their child. You're the child of God. We start acting like it. You know, children, especially when they're young enough, they have a certain boldness when they come ask for their parents for stuff. Because they really expect if I ask mom and dad for it, I'm going to get it. And if you tell them you're going to get it, then they believe you. Now, they will remember. If you say tomorrow, as soon as you open your eyes, they'll be standing there. I summon you to fulfill your oath to me. But they have this faith. They have this confidence. And maybe, just maybe, we should act like that when it comes to our Heavenly Father, who is a better parent than any of us ever could be, who loves us even more than we can even possibly love our children. We have to put our faith in Him. See, 2 Corinthians 4.13 and 14 says this. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So if we truly believe God is at work in our situation, then we need to change the way we speak. If we truly believe that God is going to do something in our life, we've got to change the way we talk. There's some words that might just need to drop out of our vocabulary. If you really believe God is working in your situation, you need to change your words. You need to watch that mouth. And for some of you, your Twitter fingers. James 2.17, the Amplified Classic says, So also faith, if it does not have works, deeds, and actions of obedience to back it up, by itself it is destitute of power, it is inoperative, and it's dead. So if we truly believe the power of God is at work in our situation, then we need to change the way we act. We have to act like the word is true. Faith prepares for what it expects. Faith prepares for what it expects. Put it in the chat and say it with me. Say, faith prepares for what it expects. So if I really expect God to show up or do this miracle or fix this situation or bring restoration to my life, I need to prepare for it. And I shouldn't be shocked when it shows up. Why? Because I've been preparing for it because my faith is in him. So if I'm in faith, that means I'm going to do all the natural things it requires. So if I'm believing for healing in my body, then I'm going to do the natural things for my body. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do all the natural healthy things I know to do and put my faith in God for supernatural power working through my body. If I'm believing for prosperity, then that means I should have a budget. I want to get quiet on that one. I should manage what comes in my hand. Yes, I should give. Yes, I should tithe, but I should budget and pay attention 
and learn about how the economy works and research investing, not get rich quick schemes. Research, pay attention. If I really believe God's will for me is prosperity and I'm believing for a financial miracle. He said, well, I believe God has called me to be in this career, to be in this industry. Well, if you believe that and you believe for an open door, while you're waiting for the open door, you should be researching and studying and figuring out and learning all you can about this area. See, it's not just spiritual things only. It's natural and spiritual. Why? You are a natural and spiritual being. You are a spirit, but you live in this physical body. There are natural parts of you and there are spiritual parts of you. So you need to do both. So if you really believe, you're really believing to bounce back from your setback, then you need to do all the natural things as well and change the way you speak. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. The word avail means has the advantage. Has the advantage. And then Paul uses the language again in the next chapter. says the new creation in Christ, those who are born again, have the advantage. Faith that's fueled and made effective by love has the advantage. So what am I telling you? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have the advantage. You have the advantage. We talk a lot today about who has the advantage in our society, who has privilege in our society. But I'm here to tell you that if your faith is in Jesus, you have the advantage. So stop saying you're disadvantaged. Stop saying you can't do it. Stop saying you can't make it. Stop saying, well, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too black, I'm too white, I'm too this. Stop that. You have the advantage. Yes, things may look tough. Yes, you may have had setback after setback after setback. But when you realize what this word says, you realize in this life, I have the advantage, so I'm going to start acting like it. I'm going to stop saying, I can't do it. Oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Stop that. You have the advantage. So walk like it. Talk like it. Pick your head up. Take those challenges head on because you know the end of the story is your victory. 1 John 5, 4. It says, For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing, persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Another translation says this way, Every God-born person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Anyone here believe Jesus is the Son of God? Faith is the way we win. If you have to win or have victory, that lets you know you're going to have to fight. If you have to win, or have victory that lets you know you're going to have to fight. But if you resist in faith, you will win. See, faith people should have enough confidence as some rappers. Because if they can say all I do is win, why can't we? We have to change the way we talk. We have to change the way we believe. Because too many of us are expecting bad things. It's like, you know, bad things coming three, one, two, all right, third one, knock me out. Come on, I know you're coming. You're hiding somewhere. Or you're just expecting setbacks. 
Come on, some of you are like a combination of Eeyore walking around with a cloud over your head like the Charlie Brown character. Just expecting bad things. Expecting defeat. But you're a believer and you have the advantage. So you just need to start saying, you know, by faith, all I do is win. Go and say, by faith, all I do is win. Go ahead, put that in the chat and say it again with me. Say, by faith, all I do is win. We have to start talking like they did in the before the fiery furnace, where they said, if you do throw us in, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. It's your comeback season. It's time for you to bounce back from the setbacks of life. So say it with me. Say, my faith is in Jesus. The resurrection and the Lord of my life. This is my comeback season. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in my life and causing me to bounce back from my setback. Now, if you believe that, act like it. Lift your hands and give God glory. If you believe that his power is working in your life, causing you to bounce back from every setback, go ahead and lift your hands and give him glory. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.